A Long Way Back to Zion Book 2, Tyrants and Savages Chapter 13 It makes no difference what men think of war, said the judge. War endures. As well ask men what they think of stone. Cormac McCarthy Wet Mountain Valley, Colorado Even before he'd met Evelyn or agreed to go on the journey, Noah had a mental image of what mountains would look like. What he had pictured was much like the small twin butte that they'd left far behind. But now, as he looked to the west, he could hardly believe his eyes. They were still miles away from where the range was. They were riding through the center of a large valley, but even from this distance, the mountains looked massive and impenetrable. The high, jagged peaks were already dusted with snow and pushed up through the low-hanging clouds that surrounded them. To the east was another range, not nearly as grand as the mountains to the west, but still tinged with snow. It had snowed in the valley, but it was only a thin layer of dust, and the group made their way easily through. This will be as good a place as any, Evelyn said, pulling everyone's eyes off the colossal mountains around them. As soon as we find an old settlement or abandoned town, she clarified. The group had discussed the subject at length already, but now found a suitable place. They had to wait out the winter before they could press on across the mountains to the coast. To do that, they would need to prepare. They would need to find suitable shelter, cut firewood, hunt, and gather feed for their horses before the big snows arrived. According to Evelyn, that would be sooner than they thought. You sure we'll find a town? Jade asked, looking all around the mountains surrounding them. It's been a long time since we've seen any old towns. It's a safe bet, Evelyn assured. A long time ago, there were little towns in all these valleys. There still may be people up here, too, don't forget, Noah added. We still need to be on guard for anything or anyone unfriendly. Oh, you just had to say it, didn't you? Sanchez pulled his horse up and stopped it, his eyes fixed on the hill toward the westward mountains. Noah was about to ask him what he meant when he saw it himself. On the hill, a few hundred yards away, he saw a lone rider. Immediately, their weapons were in their hands, and their horses, sensing the danger, started to prance. Easy now, sister. He may be friendly. Sanchez spoke to his horse and patted her on the neck. Right side, too, Evelyn hissed. To their right, toward the eastern mountain range, there was a group of men walking over the hill. They crested it and then stopped, staring across the valley to the lone rider on the other side. At their side were massive gray, black, and white wolves. The canines pulled furiously on their leashes, gnashed their teeth, and were barking. What's going on here, guys? Jade's voice quivered as on both sides of them, more men started to appear. They topped the hills on either side of the group in long lines that ex extended a couple hundred yards in either direction. I don't like the looks of this, Sanchez breathed, working the lever of his rifle harshly. We don't have the ammunition to fight this many people, Evelyn warned. Just stay calm for a second. Let's think this out. She's right. Don't get hasty. Let's just see what they want. Noah held his pistol at his side, but didn't bring it up. It was true, they all saw. They did not have the ammunition for a fight. There were more people on either side of them than Noah had ever seen in his entire life. They reminded him of the large group of plague victims that had approached Fort Amarillo before they'd left, but there were more here, twice as many at least by Noah's quick estimation. 
They formed up on either side of them in long lines and stood facing each other, as if they were waiting on some sort of command or signal. They all held weapons of some sort or fashion. One side was more uniform, holding long spears that rose above their heads two or three feet. The other side held more mismatched weapons and round shields like some of the Yanos used. Every few yards on the right side, there was a group of men holding more wolves on leashes. They lunged and bore their teeth, gnashing and growling. There was a group on horseback toward the west behind the uniformed spearmen, but to the east there were few horsemen. Noah was about to suggest they run for it when came a long, loud yell from the left side. The right side erupted in shouts and yells in return and rushed, releasing their wolves before them. The animals shot forward like hounds freed from hell, and men ran wildly down the sloping hill toward them behind their wolves. Already, Noah saw that they would not be able to clear the gauntlet, even on horseback. The line to the left advanced also, more slowly and deliberately than the right, but they pointed their spears forward and began to come down the hill. There was another call, and hundreds of arrows arced into the sky from the left. Run! Sanchez wheeled his horse around, kicking hard. The rest of the group turned as well, but they'd not made fifty yards before they saw the way behind them blocked as surely as the way ahead. The arrows whistled overhead and then dropped, missing Noah and the others and descending into the charging ranks of men and wolves on one side of them. The men raised their shields as they ran, and the arrows met them. Dozens of men dropped mid-sprint, arrows protruding from their necks, their chests, their faces. Most of the wolves were too quick, however, and outran the volley. We're trapped, Evelyn yelled over the advancing rumble of yells coming from either side. She turned her horse round and round, and the group drew closer together. Panic was apparent on all their faces, but Noah's eyes met Sanchez, and Noah knew what he was going to say before the words left his mouth. Horse fort, Sanchez called to Noah, his head swiveling rapidly. Horse fort. Before Noah could argue, Sanchez was bringing up his rifle. What? Jade screamed frantically. Horse what? I don't know if that's... Noah started, but the blast from Sanchez's rifle halted any further discussion. The pack horse Sanchez was leading crumpled to the ground, bleeding from its forehead. I'm sorry, little sister. Sanchez took the time to apologize to his sorrow mare just as he pulled the trigger and kicked his feet from his stirrups. The horse died on its feet, and Sanchez jumped out of the saddle and pulled her down so that she fell the way he wanted her to. Get off, he called to the other three around him. Rushing over to Jade, he helped her down, pushed her over toward his dead mare. The shocked look didn't leave her face, but she complied with the command and took cover behind the horse. Noah was just dismounting when Sanchez downed Jade's horse. It fell near his, and he immediately went prone behind it, and he pointed his rifle at the line approaching fast from the right. This is never going to work. Noah was caught between panic and hopelessness. He held his horse by the reins, but the animal was beginning to spook and shy away from him. There was a shot from behind him, and his horse stumbled and fell, its legs facing outward toward the south. Evelyn turned her rifle on her own horse an instant after she shot Noah's, and the last horse fell in a heap with three legs curled under it and one stretched out behind, making it a bit taller than the other three around it. The group huddled in close behind their barricade and leaned their rifles over the horses. To the right and left, the lines were rushing forward. The line coming from the right came wildly, while the left side stayed in a uniform line with their spears held out before them. 
The right line would reach them first, they all realized, and they pointed their guns in that direction. Do we shoot? Sanchez glanced to Noah for some kind of command or suggestion. The men and the wolves barreled toward them, rumbling like a front of a storm. Oh, not until they start trying to kill us, I guess? Noah's response was followed only a moment later by an arrow from the right side. An archer slowed to a jog and aimed directly for them, sending the arrow into the barricade of dead horses. There was no mistaking his intent. A second later, the first shot of the engagement was fired by Jade, and the guilty archer took a bullet in the chest and fell where he stood. At the sound of the rifle, the faces of the charging men flashed surprise and aggression, but they didn't stop advancing. A small group near the front of the line took their attention away from the army across from them and made straight for the downed horses. Their wolves were before them. The beasts seemed undeterred by the shot from the rifle, and five of them streaked forward, their mouths frothing with excitement. Evelyn led the closest one and squeezed the trigger of her M4. The round impacted the animal's head, and it rolled into a heap only a few far yards away. Noah's back muscles rippled as he drew the string on his bow, and he loosed an arrow at another wolf. It caught the arrow in the chest, but it was already diving over one of the horses before it died in among the four of them. Sanchez took aim at two of the charging wolves that were further away and took them down with two shots from his rifle, as Jade dropped the last wolf just before it jumped for her throat. The four of them continued to fire as the men charged. The bullets dropped man after man, but there were hundreds still more running frantically their way. Chancing a glance back over his shoulder, Noah saw the other line st still advancing, but they had not yet reached them. The two lines had met on each other's flanks, north and south of the group, and the fighting was furious and gory. The wild men charging from the left threw their bodies into the opposing army in full sprint. Many of the first men to meet the spears only succeeded in impaling themselves against the line, but as more and more men rushed in behind them, the barrier of spears disappeared, and the lines mixed into one another with the men slashing and striking and spearing. Noah snapped back forward, pulled his bow back again, and lodged an arrow into a man's face. The man fell forward, tripping over the dead horse and landing behind Evelyn in a heap. She didn't even bother looking his way. Rising up, she fired her M4 rapidly, sending swaths of men dodging to the right and the left. Like a forked river, the charging men passed on either side of them, focusing instead on the spearmen behind. Then the bolt locked back on Evelyn's M4. It's working, Sanchez yelled her way. He saw her intent. She was directing her fire into the center of the line before them and forcing the line to break right and left in hopes that they would pass them by. Sanchez fired the last two shots from his lever gun and let it fall where he stood. His revolver was up in a flash, pointed toward the center of the line, but he waited. Save your bullets for the ones that rush us, he warned to Jade, who was burning through her magazine quickly. Her rifle went empty, and suddenly she was holding a useless black hunk of steel and polymer. Jade's eyes started to go wide. She was on the north corner of the defensive position, the furthest away from the other three, and the men passing on her side were coming closer. They seemed to know she was out of ammunition, and suddenly a small detachment of them broke off and ran toward her. I'm out of bullets, she yelled back and turned behind her. None of the other three were looking her way. They all had their eyes on other advancing threats. 
Noah stood behind Evelyn, who was crouched, and both their eyes were intent to the east, where the main body of the line was still coming forward. Sanchez had dashed to the south end and fired two shots from his revolver, dispatching a brace of charging men on that side. Jade was on her own. She spun back around, and the five men were nearly upon her. They all held clubs, swords, and shields, and they rushed her with wild excitement in their eyes. Reloading, Evelyn hollered from her crouched position below Noah. She pressed the mag release on the side of her rifle and turned her wrist right and left, ejecting the mag out with force. It spun away and landed in the dirt with a clatter. She pulled a spare mag from her side pocket, jammed it into the rifle with one fluid motion, pressed her thumb to the bolt release, and sent the first round into the chamber. Firing, she slung up the gun and returned her fire to the charging mass. It had taken her only a moment to reload, but in that small amount of precious time, the line had rushed forward like a wave attempting to wash over a small island. She pulled the trigger rapidly, sending the hot brass sailing over her right shoulder. One of the rounds landed on Noah's neck, but he barely noticed its presence as he drew his 1911 and started firing with her, trying to stem the tide coming to swallow them up. Jay did not know what to do. Her rifle was empty, and she had no sidearm. Crouching behind the northern corner, she drew out her knife, and she held it tightly in her hand. The men were nearly there, and there was little she could do to stop them, but she grit her teeth and took a fighting stance anyway. The first two men appeared on either side of her, and each of them raised their weapons high over their heads. Pop! Pop! The bullets from Noah's 1911 impacted the two men less than a second apart and sent them pitching to either side. Duck, Noah warned. She got as small as she possibly could and curled up against the warm body of the horse. Noah was still standing on the south corner about fifteen feet away from Jade. He held his pistol with both hands and took careful aim. Jade heard the bullets whiz over her head, thumping as they impacted human flesh. She watched Noah as he shot, trying to gauge whether or not he had killed all five of the charging men. His eyes were narrow and determined, but when the slide locked back, he reached frantically for his tomahawk. He reared back as if to throw it, but when his arm cocked backward, an arrow planted itself into his upper left chest. Noah faltered. Stumbling backward, his feet met the horse behind him and he fell, toppling over and disappearing behind the south side of the barricade. No, Jade screamed. She rose up, searching for the archer. It was the fifth man that had been charging. He stood directly on the other side of the dead horse and was desperately trying to knock another arrow. Jade lunged forward. She stumbled across the horse's body but brought the knife down as she did, slicing a deep gash into his thigh. He whelped in surprise and pain and scrambled back a couple steps outside Jade's reach. She got to her feet and gripped her knife, preparing to charge. The man glanced from his thigh to Jade. There was hatred in his eyes, malice, revenge, death. He knocked the arrow, drew, and loosed. Jade leapt forward, pointing her blade at the man's chest. At point-blank range, the arrow went completely through Jade's chest and exited her lower back. She felt no pain as she fell to her knees, but she saw the man staggering back, her knife lodged to the hilt in his chest. Numb and gasping for breath that wasn't there, Jade closed her eyes. The battlefield dissolved around her, and suddenly she was standing under a lonely tree near a creek back in Texas. 
Evelyn jerked her head back and forth. She couldn't see Jade within the safety of the horses, and Sanchez was frantically trying to pull Noah back to his feet and get him back into the circle. She wanted to call out to find Jade, but the situation would not allow it. Combat is chaos. Never take your eye off the enemy, especially if your teammates have. Roland's words rang in her subconscious, and she snapped her eyes back forward. The wild, charging men from the east were rushing forward completely unchallenged. Evelyn started firing again. "'Where's Jade?' Sanchez screamed over the bedlam, and he searched fearfully. "'Keep fighting!' Noah replied desperately, trying to ignore the arrow shaft that had broken off in his shoulder, and he snapped another magazine into his pistol. He moved close to Evelyn, and he started firing again. "'Sanchez, get in the fight!' Evelyn did not look away from her field of fire, but she saw Sanchez out of the corner of her eye and reached out, pulling him back into a tight circle behind her and Noah. On every side was chaos, and everywhere her eyes traveled, so did her rifle. It barked again and again, downing anyone who rushed them. The dust created by the frenzied armies all around them made it hard to see anything beyond a few yards. "'I'm almost out,' Sanchez yelled. His voice was nothing but pure horror, but he fired from the corner of the circle, killing a wolf that had leapt over the south wall. "'Reloading!' Evelyn yelled and tapped Noah on the shoulder. "'North side! North side! North side!' She grabbed his shoulder and spun him around to the north. Noah brought the 1911 up and fired quickly at three men who were only a few feet away. The slide locked back, and the last man ran headlong into Noah. He was dead, and the body bumped into him and fell to one side. "'This is my last magazine,' Noah bellowed, ripping the final magazine out of his shoulder holster and slamming it into the pistol. He racked the slide and pulled the gun back up. "'I'm out!' Sanchez shouted in reply. "'Take my pistol,' Evelyn replied without looking. She fired a couple blasts and took two steps backward toward Sanchez's voice. Sanchez took the initiative, and he snatched Evelyn's pistol out of her holster." He turned back around, and there were three of them, pressed their backs together, and they all faced outward. Noah could see the line from the west advancing and pushing back against the men from the east, but they were still forty yards away. What he expected when they reached the three of them, though, he was not certain. He was certain, however, that the men that were now circling them and getting closer and closer did want to kill them. Arrows flew in from here and there, missing them by only whispers and planting into the dead horse barricade. They fired immediately at wherever the shots came from, but there was no way to tell in the sea of angry faces around them whether or not they were hitting the archers. The men encircled them, but the barking gunfire was keeping them at bay. There was a short pause in the gunfire. It appeared for a moment that no one wanted to be the first to rush them. A circle had completely closed around them. With every shot, it tightened. The circle closed steadily around them, and the bodies fell here or there out of line to the ground. Half mag left, Evelyn said coolly over her shoulder. This is it. You're almost out of ammo. You're never going to make it. This is where you die. Evelyn pushed the thoughts out of her head and tried to focus on the task at hand. She pressed the trigger slowly, deliberately, making every shot count. She picked out the biggest and strongest-looking men and the archers when she could find them. She felt the rifle buck mildly, heard the thump, and saw a large man twenty yards away spew red mist from his neck. "'How's the west side? Can we run for it?' 
Nope, Sanchez replied. He was looking west, and though most of the men to the west were fighting with the advancing army, there were many faces turned toward them. He picked out the closest one, and he squeezed the trigger. One of the men pitched backwards, but the rest surged forward a few more yards, as if they could smell blood and weakness. I'm almost out. Noah counted the rounds in his pistol as he fired. Pop, five. Pop, pop, four. Three. The men surged forward more. They knew. How did they know? Noah fired again, gripping his pistol harshly. He made the last three rounds count, snapping back three heads. The slide locked back, and Noah hit the slide release and put the gun back into his shoulder holster. He was not sure why. After all, he was about to die. I'm out. Noah pulled up his tomahawk and his knife, and he yelled to the men around them in frustration and anger, cursing them in their entire existence. So am I. Sanchez spat angrily, and he whipped out a pair of long-bladed Yano knives from his belt and another from his boot. Me too. Evelyn checked the action and saw the bolt resting open, mocking her. She threw the rifle aside and pulled two of her own knives out. She knew, without the equalizing effect of the rifle, she wouldn't be a match physically for the grown men advancing to kill her. She thought of her bow, but she didn't have time. The men began to press. She wanted to reach for Noah, wanted to hold him before they both died. But that was not how they would end. They would not die weeping and clinging to one another. They would die full of arrows, pierced with blades, or smashed with clubs. Noah saw the men from the west rush forward, with the other army pushing through. Noah, Evelyn, and Sanchez were in the midst of it all, the eye of the great bloody storm, and the two armies crashed together all around them. Noah had hoped that the arrival of the other army may bring some sort of reprieve, but they were in the thick of it as much as anyone. A man dashed forward, and he raised a rusted blade to swing at Noah. His initial instinct was to duck, but Evelyn's back was pressed to his. He raised his tomahawk to block the blow, and he caught the blade in the crook of it. He pushed it downward with all of his strength, and he plunged his knife into the man's ugly face. He yelled as he did so, kicking the man away with as much force as he could muster. He'd never fought like this before, with such ferocity. It was more than his normal survival instincts coursing through his vein. It was more than adrenaline. He was mad with primal rage. Another man raced forward, and Noah swung his tomahawk. The blade caught the man in the head and took him completely off his feet. His back hit the earth below so hard that it trembled underneath Noah. He backed up a step, hoping to find Evelyn's back again, but he did not feel her, and that's when he heard her scream. Evelyn tried to duck the incoming blow, but she was a moment too slow. The blade cut across the bridge of her nose, down her cheek, and all the way to the bottom of her jaw. It threw her backward, and she could feel herself slipping from consciousness. She fell to her back, stunned, and looked up with helplessness and bleary eyes, just in time to see the blade coming down again. She was blacking out. Her body would not obey her, though she tried with every ounce of her strength to bring up her arm to defend herself. She closed her eyes and yelled out. Noah threw his body weight into the man with the blade over his head, lifted him clear from the earth, and slammed him into the ground outside the protection of the horses. He rose up and struck the man with his tomahawk again and again, splattering blood upon his face and chest. Noah screamed like a man possessed as he struck the man again, sinking his axe until it lodged into the man. 
He couldn't pull it out until he grasped it with both hands. Ripping it free with a sick crunch, he leaned up with his chest heaving and he turned, searching madly for Evelyn. Noah! Sanchez's warning voice cut through the screams and yells around him. Sanchez was standing over Evelyn's lifeless body, swinging the two bloody knives at anyone who dared advance. He looked dazed, with a pale, blood-soaked face and vacant eyes, but he was still unhurt. A man appeared to his right and rushed him with a hatchet. Sanchez sidestepped the attack and swung his long knife with his right hand. There was a splash of red that shot forth from the man's neck and arced around following the path of Sanchez's knife. Sanchez met Noah's eyes for a split second, and there was a flash of gray fur. The wolf hit Noah with force, gnashing for his throat and taking him to the ground. Noah lashed out, but the beast jumped away from the blow and was behind him in another instant. Then there were two of them. One wolf drove its teeth into Noah's shoulder, and the other latched onto his arm. He dropped his tomahawk. They jerked at his body, dragging him even, even further away from Evelyn and Sanchez. He swung wildly with his free hand, trying his best to catch a piece of the wolves with his knife, but they were dragging him quickly away, and he could not hit his mark. In only a few seconds, Noah could no longer see his companions in the chaos. The dust was too thick, and there were too many bodies between them. Finally, the wolves stopped dragging him for a moment. The one that was attached to his shoulder seemed to realize that Noah wasn't going down, and it released its grip in order to lunge for his throat. It was all the window Noah needed. He rolled to his side and came to a knee, stabbing wildly for the second wolf that was attached to his arm. To Noah's amazement, the blade found its mark in the wolf's side, and the thing yelped and let go. It jumped backward and growled, but it was bleeding out quickly. Noah looked back toward the first wolf, and it was about to dive for him again. It was a split second, but he noticed just how big the wolves were. He was on one knee and rising up, but the wolf was at his eye level. Its head was bigger than any canine Noah had ever seen, and it made the biggest of the tracker's hound look like pups. Noah tried to put the fear out of his mind when the wolf came at him. He rose up to get above the animal, and then he brought his knife down in a stabbing motion. The wolf's hot breath and gnashing teeth reached desperately for Noah's exposed throat. As the beast's slobbering jaws opened for the final strike, down came the knife. The point of the blade hit the animal on the head and traveled downward. The bloody knife was visible in the back of the wolf's open throat for a moment, and then Noah brought all of his weight down on the blade and speared the wolf's head to the ground at his feet. Noah breathed hard and wrenched the knife free, stumbling backward a few steps and standing up. As soon as his eyes came up, they met with the archer. The boy already had the arrow knocked and the bow drawn to his cheek when Noah saw him. Their eyes met for a moment, but it was long enough for them to see each other's eyes. The boy was close to his own age, Noah guessed. They were the same in ways. They were both forced to grow up too quickly by the cruel world around them. They were too young for this. Too young for war. Too young to kill. Too young to die. Noah and the boy saw the same thing in each other's faces. Fear. There was no time for discussion, however. No time to talk to each other about this mutual human, human emotion which they both felt. There was no time to talk about why none of this was right or why they were both too young for this. The boy's fingers left the string and the arrow bolted forward. Noah saw it coming, but had no time to do anything but stand there. His knife fell from his hand.
His mind raced through his short life until it reached Evelyn, then it froze. He saw her bright eyes and her blonde braid at her shoulder. He saw her smile. He saw her beautiful lips call his name. The arrow connected with Noah's head, just above his right eye, and his mind blanked. He fell backward. The battlefield disappeared into a white-hot flash around him, and he knew nothing else. No! Sanchez screamed in anguish and torment. He saw Noah fall. He saw the arrow strike his head, and Noah went down out there in the chaos of the field. Noah is dead. Evelyn might be. Jade probably is too. Immediately, Sanchez began to weep. The fighting was still going on around him, and he tried his best to remove Evelyn from it. A spearman rushed by him and drove his spear into an enemy not three feet in front of Sanchez. An arrow planted into the spearman's side, and he fell across Evelyn's legs. Sanchez lost his grip and stumbled backward onto the ground, and looking to his left, he saw another archer ready an arrow and draw down on him. Thundering hooves punished the ground as a tall gray horse appeared from the advancing ranks of the western army. The rider rose up in his stirrups and brought a broad-bladed sword up over his head. The blade came down so hard against the archer's shoulder that daylight could be seen through the twelve-inch wound that ran from the top of his shoulder down to the middle of his chest. The string of the bow was cut with the strike as well, and the arrow, meant to end Sanchez's life, fell harmlessly to the ground at the archer's feet. The man wavered for a second, staring dumbly at the tear that separated his shoulder and arm from the rest of his body, and then he died. The man on the horse spurred his way toward Sanchez. The rider was yelling something at him, but his ears would not register the sentence through the mayhem. The rider was a large man, making the massive horse he rode look small. Across his chest he wore a gray plate, in the center of the plate the silhouette of a bear. On each of his shoulders matching curved plates rested, and a helmet covered his head. Again he yelled, jumping from his horse and rushing toward Sanchez on foot. He met the large man's gaze, and he tried his best to hear the words. Get up, the loud voice boomed. The big gray horse pranced back and forth nervously. Sanchez obeyed the command, and he reached back forward for Evelyn, pulling her free with the help of the massive man. He was six and a half feet tall at least, and looked to be three hundred pounds by Sanchez's guess. Once Evelyn's legs were free, the man picked her up effortlessly, as if she weighed as much as a small child. He mounted his horse again as quickly as possible and turned to face Sanchez. Follow me. He spurred the horse hard and ran toward the west, with Sanchez sprinting behind him. Chapter 14 Dead Men Don't Bite Robert Louis Stevenson Chihuahua Desert, Mexico the olive-drab color of Luke's BDUs and plate carrier did not blend in very well with the desert landscape around him, but, then again, he loaded out for a jungle environment, not a desert. He was lying still, in a prone position, and looking through his scope toward the road behind them. He could see the dust of whoever was following them, but could not see the vehicles yet. Commander, I've got dust. We definitely have a tail. Luke spoke into the mic softly and steadied his breathing. The road behind them came around a bend and then traveled through a long canyon with steep walls on either side. It was a perfect spot to set up an ambush. 
even a hastily made ambush, such as this one was. Across the way, on the other side of the canyon, Edward was behind his own rifle, looking down the same road Luke was. The rest of the group was waiting with the vehicles below, ready to bug out as soon as Luke and Edward brought their pursuers to a stop and got back to the wagons. It was just meant to slow the pursuers up, until the ravens could find a better spot to dig in and fight if necessary. Finally, about 300 yards down the canyon, the first vehicle rounded the bend. They look like GNU troops, Commander. He flipped off the safety of his rifle, and he placed his finger against the front of his trigger guard. Only one vehicle so far, just like ours. I count three hostiles moving slow down the canyon. Our rounds probably won't penetrate the engine block, not through that armor. We can hit the occupants, though. Over. Well, they're looking left and right like they're expecting an ambush, sir. Edward added to Luke's assessment. May have held some back and just sent these to check it out. What do you think? Bad day for them. Roland's voice rang in Edward and Luke's ears. Light them up. Take out all three, then get down here. We'll check out. Three dead ought to keep them back for a while. Copy that, Commander. Luke placed the tip of his finger on the trigger. I'll take the driver. You get the other two. On my mark. Affirmative. Edward held a tick left to account for the wind. Luke adjusted his own windage and elevation by the knobs on his scope. Three, two, one, mark. Luke separated the words out and enunciated them clearly. Then he squeezed the trigger and sent the 7.62 caliber round downrange toward his target. Vic Ramirez gripped his rifle harshly and jerked his head left to right, looking to either side of the canyon. Beside him, his friend Raymond grumbled uneasily and gripped the wheel with white knuckles. This was Grayson's punishment, they both knew, for stepping out of line a week earlier in the jungle, all over the little savage girl. Then he'd killed her himself. Vic thought that made Grayson a bit of a hypocrite. Vic glanced to Raymond shortly, intending to gripe about their scouting mission. But just as Raymond's eyes met Vic's own, the back of the man's head exploded. Sniper! Vic screamed, even as the round impacted his chest. The plate would have sm stopped a smaller caliber, but the 762 by 51 round fired by the sniper was armor-piercing and punched through, pulverizing his heart. The half-headless driver's foot slipped off the gas and hit the brake, throwing the gunner from the second seat onto the hood of the llama. He rolled off of it and hit the ground in front of the vehicle, then he pulled up his gun frantically, trying to find the location of the snipers. His hands were empty, though. The gun lay in the front seat of the, of the llama, and even if he'd had it, he had no idea where the shots had come from. After a moment of thought, though, his mind went blank as another bullet sprang from some unknown place and slammed into his chest. Slumping back against the grill of the llama, the third man exhaled and died. Moving... Luke flipped up the legs on his bipod, pulled the camouflage netting from around him, and stuffed it down in his pack. He was gone in a matter of seconds, making his way back toward Roland and the wagons. He wished Edward would have made headshots. Headshots make a statement, and Luke definitely wanted to leave a statement for their followers. The men were still dead, Luke knew. Their armor was not strong enough to withstand the armor-piercing rounds. Headshots would have been better, though. I should have made headshots. Edward bounded from behind the rock to meet Luke on the trail. He grinned when he saw Luke hesitate and answer. Two to one, you were faster. Luke nodded, allowing himself to grin along with Edward. Edward knew him too well. 
Yours is prettier, Edward shot back. They made their way down the trail, rounded the bend, and jogged the last hundred yards to the wagon. Nice shooting, Roland nodded. Yes, sir, Edward replied. Good to go. Luke jumped in the back of the last wagon and pointed his rifle out the back down the road behind. I should have known they would catch sight of us when we came this close, Grayson said as he pulled Raymond's body from the driver's seat of the llama. Now we're a day behind and they know we're in pursuit. He dragged the body unceremoniously to one side of the canyon and he dropped it. We'll catch him, sure. Don't worry, Beckett assured he pulled Vic's corpse from the passenger seat and did the same as Grayson did with the other. We parallel him once we get out of this canyon, slip around him on the side, and we can get in front of him. I like it, Smith agreed. It'll take some hard driving, but it's doable. Excuse me, Grayson shouted. Did I miss something, or am I still giving the orders around here? There was a sudden hush throughout the group. It was true, the team had become a little lax in the past few days, speaking freely and not jumping to orders as quickly as they usually would. It was past time for Grayson to get a handle on the situation. He grabbed the third dead man and he slung his dead body with force against the canyon wall. This is what happens when you get sloppy, Grayson yelled. Gather up their ammunition and arms and get in the transports. Are we going to bury them, sir? A big man named Jonas spoke from Grayson's side. Grayson pulled out his pistol and pointed at the man. Ammunition, arms, transport, Grayson repeated slowly. The men jumped to the order, and in only a few seconds they were loading up in the llamas. I apologize, sir, Beckett said quietly as he got into the passenger seat beside Grayson. He pulled his rifle to his shoulder, planted his foot on the side of the llama, and looked forward down the canyon. You're right, Grayson said quietly. Just come to me with your ideas, quietly. Understood, sir. Beckett kept his voice low so the other men coming toward the llama would not hear them. I understand you have to keep the men under control. I shouldn't have spoken up without talking to you first. You know, Beckett, Grayson's voice softened a bit. You're the only one of this rabble who's capable of thinking strategically. You're probably the only soldier I have. Gratian motioned backward to the rest. Here it is, hot as hell. Everyone else has ditched their long sleeves, but you're still in uniform. Everyone else has stopped shaving and cleaning their weapons. You haven't. Everyone else is half-assing it. You aren't. Grayson glanced over and offered the faintest hint of a smile. Try not to get yourself killed, all right? I don't intend to, sir. Beckett shook his head. The other men piled into the llama, and Grayson stepped on the gas, speeding away down the canyon. They drove well into the night, using their MVGs to navigate through the darkness. Everyone was on edge, and no one spoke. Only the dull humming of the engines carried out across the quiet night. After coming out of the canyon and into a more open area, the group veered off to the east a few miles and then back north following Beckett's plan to parallel their prey. Though they could no longer see the tire tracks that they were following, they'd been following for the men long enough to, that they had a pretty good idea of where they were heading. North was the general direction, and since they were in Mexico, Grayson guessed that the insurgents were headed towards the U.S. border. From the passenger seat, Beckett opened up a laptop and he scanned through a few maps, marking potential roads the insurgents might take to cross the border. There were a number of probable crossings from the east to the west, but maybe, if they could get eyes on them from afar, 
they could set a trap for them at the crossing. What do you think they'll do next? Mark leaned over his saw and glanced at Roland. I doubt we scared them off for long. The wagon bumped across the rocky road, but they were still making good time. They hadn't even stopped to relieve themselves since the canyon, but no one had yet complained. They'll kick off our tail and they'll try to swing around us. Walt spoke up from the back of the wagon. At least, that's what I'd do if I was in their position. The pop bottle lenses on Walt's glasses were speckled with fine dust from the desert, but behind them his oversized eyes searched back and forth, unblinking, looking a bit mad. Yeah, Roland replied. Walt's on to it. I don't see any dust following us, Commander. Levi's voice came over the radio. Edward and Luke are both scanning our six. They've got nothing. Over. Copy that, Roland replied. They may be trying to swing around and flank us. Keep your eyes to the east and the west. Look for dust. Over. On it. Levi paused a moment. We have a quarter tank of fuel. Ought to refill now before it comes to a race. Don't want to run out at an inopportune time. Over. All right. Five minutes, everyone. Then we're back on the road. Roland pressed the brakes, and the group came to a quick halt. Everyone piled out, but kept their rifles trained on the landscape around them. Gathering around Roland, they all looked toward their leader. Everyone good? I'm kind of hungry, Adam's small voice admitted. For the first time in days, the team became fully aware of the boy. Carson was the first to produce some food, a kind of high-calorie energy bar that he'd pilfered from the GNU base, and he unwrapped it and tossed it to Adam. The boy caught it and immediately went to work devouring it. He was doing quite well, they all thought, for a young boy. They were all grown men and trained warriors. They were used to sleep deprivation, dehydration, hunger, pain, and endless hours behind the triggers of their rifles. Adam was not, but the boy was certainly doing his best to take it in stride. Thanks, he said quietly as he gulped down the last bit of the bar. You just let me know if you need any more food or water, all right, Adam? Roland looked down kindly, forgetting for a moment that he was commander of a combat team and feeling very much like a sort of father to the boy. Adam just brought his tough little eyes to meet Roland's gaze, and he nodded. Good, then. He placed a hand on the boy's shoulder. What's our plan, commander? Levi spoke up after the short silence, keeping his eyes on the desert around them. Short-term plan, anyway, for dealing with this tail we've got. Well, our bet is that they're going to try to swing around us east or west, Roland began. We're still ahead of them right now, so they aren't going to get in front of us or catch us. Unless we let them, Luke suggested quietly from beside Levi. Most of the team cocked their heads a bit, but Edward cracked a small grin. Until we let them, Roland clarified. Chapter 15 The Rocky Mountains is the marrow of the world. Del Gu Sangre de Cristo Mountains, Colorado By the time Sanchez reached the apex of the mountain pass, he had stopped weeping. Looking down on Evelyn's still unconscious face, with red bloodshot eyes, he nearly started crying again. The cut was deep and ugly, running the full length of her face. If she lived, she would carry a terrible scar for the rest of her life. Her heart was beating normally, and her breathing was steady, but Sanchez feared for her desperately. 
Jade's body lay further back in the wagon, wrapped in a blanket. One of the soldiers had pulled her from the battlefield as well, but she'd already been dead. Noah's body had not yet been recovered. Sanchez saw the man who had saved him trot up to meet the wagon, and he tried his best to wipe the wetness from his eyes before speaking with him. He noticed the man appeared to be in charge, as everyone was calling him Sir, though others were calling him Bear. Thank you. It was all Sanchez could think to say. His light-hearted and boisterous tone had been stolen from him. I did not have a chance to introduce myself back there, the man began. My name is Theodore Gunderson. They call me Bear. I am very sorry for the loss of your friends. He nodded solemnly. How? Theodore searched for the right words, but he couldn't quite find them. Finally, he asked the first question that came to his mind. What were you doing up here? Just passing through, Sanchez replied softly. We were going to winter down in the valley. We were headed north. Where'd you come from? Texas. Sanchez's replies were short and spoken in the kind of faraway voice that the grieving have. Did you find Noah? Did you find my friend? No, I'm sorry, Bear replied, his heart breaking for the young boy with every exchange of words. There are hundreds of bodies down there, and we're still looking, but nothing yet. His men had removed all their own dead from the field, but they were distinguishable from the enemy troops. The boy that had been left behind was less distinguishable, and there were hundreds of disfigured and non-distinguishable bodies strewn across the field. It was almost better this way, because his body would not be a sight this young boy needed to see. He didn't say that, however. He simply nodded sympathetically. I know how it feels to lose friends, and I am sorry for your loss. Theodore paused for a moment, trying to find something positive to relay, and he finally settled on the wounded young girl whose head the boy was cradling. I've got some very good people that can take care of her as soon as we get down into the valley. She looks like she'll live. He looked her over, hoping he was speaking the truth. We've been at war with the Canyonites so long, we've grown very accustomed to patching up wounds. So what's all that about? Sanchez was not mad. He didn't have the capacity for anger right now. All he felt was sadness. Why are my friends dead? What was the fight about? Sanchez imagined a feud between men of power, just like powerful men back home, on a larger scale here in this place. Depends on who you ask. Depends on the year. Theodore replied matter-of-factly. If you're asking how it all began, it's all written down in dozens of histories that span a hundred years. There's sometimes years of peace at a time, but this particular war has been going on for nearly a decade for some reason or another. If you're asking what the last battle was about, well, that's a little more simple. All right, what was the last battle about? Sanchez clarified. The buffalo. They stay mostly on our side of the valley, in our territory, and they're our primary food source. Boar sends an army every year, or every couple years at this time, and he tries to kill them all. He tries to starve us out during the winter. Theodore shifted in his saddle, looking forward and backward to his troops. We fared better this year than we have in a very long time thanks to you and your guns. Why don't you have any guns? Sanchez had been too preoccupied with sadness to really think about how these men were outfitted, 
but as he glanced around, he realized how strange it all was. They were wearing armor, carrying swords like some sort of children's storybook about knights and dragons. The strangeness of it all started to sink into his mind. Oh, we have plenty of guns. Just haven't had any bullets for probably 50 years. Like I said, it's been a very long war. And why are they trying to starve you out? Sanchez raised an eyebrow quizzically. He did not know these people, and though they'd rescue them, he had to admit he was nervous about them. They were so bizarre to him, so foreign. It was completely possible their enemies had a good reason to fight them. After all, Sanchez knew no different. Oh, you'll have to ask my brother about that. I haven't had a chance to myself. Theodore shook his head. He knew the answer, but it made no sense to him, and would not make sense to anyone else. Revenge is my guess. Boar has always been a very vengeful man. So this Boar fellow, is he your brother? Sanchez shook his head. Yes, he nodded. He is my brother. His given name is Jonathan Gunderson. Theodore paused for a sad moment, and he sighed heavily as if to put the troubling war out of his mind. The fighting's over this year, though. The snows mean peace until next summer. We had a good year. Plenty of food, drink, firewood. I have no problem with letting you stay under my roof for the winter. I'm guessing you don't get a lot of visitors, do you? Sanchez looked down to Evelyn and checked the bandage on her face again. What makes you believe that? Theodore's voice held a bit of curiosity. Well, hell, you're halfway friendly, mister. Sanchez shrugged. Don't see that much where I'm from. Folks dealing with strangers. Too many bandits and cutthroats running around in the world to trust folks like me who you don't know. Leaning back, Sanchez studied the man and waited for a response. That girl is too pretty to be a bandit. Theodore motioned towards Evelyn. And you, my young friend, you're too honest to be a cutthroat. Bear rode his big gray a bit closer and he extended his hand. What's your name, son? Sanchez. He returned the shake as firmly as he could. This here's Evelyn. Sanchez had to swallow down a lump in his throat, and he, could, and he couldn't keep his eyes from beginning to water again. Her husband died out on the field today. His name was Noah. Sanchez started weeping again, and he looked toward Jade's body. Her name was Jade. Theodore rode beside the young boy in silence while he wept. There were no comforting words for him. Nothing to be said that could assuage the pain felt at the loss of his friends. Watching him cry, however, Theodore knew the boy had a kind heart. He'd had his suspicions about them, just as he knew they would have about him, and Sanchez's statement about the possibility of them being bandits had pegged Theodore's reservations perfectly. As he watched him sob, however, Theodore knew this young boy was not a threat. He was just a lost, weary traveler that needed help, and so that's exactly what Theodore would do. I have things I need to see to, but I'll send a surgeon for Evelyn here as soon as possible. Welcome to the Sand Creek Valley, Sanchez. From the bottom of the valley, they were a vertical mile from the pass that they'd topped a few hours before. Sanchez sat on a deck that extended out from the third story of Theodore's Lodge, at least, that's what he called it. To Sanchez, it looked like a fairy book castle, built from massive stones and trees from the surrounding mountains. Like Fort Amarillo, the lodge had a wall around it. But unlike the Texas fort, 
This wall was, like the mountains around it, immense in size. Sanchez had thought Fort Amarillo well protected. This place he deemed impregnable. Peppered here and there around the lodge and the wall were hundreds of other log buildings where these people lived. Sharply angled triangular roofs kept off the heavy winter snows from putting too much weight on the buildings, and little columns of smoke could be seen rising out of the chimneys. All around him were mountains, even larger now that he was in them, and they speared up into the sky all around, looking majestic, ominous, and formidable. From the deck, Sanchez was greeted by the spectacular panoramic of the high peaks, and even though he was still overwhelmed with worry and shock, he could not help but feel awed. He sat, waiting for Evelyn to wake. The surgeon that Bear had sent had cleared and stitched her wound flawlessly, and told Sanchez that, besides a broken nose, she appeared to be okay. Sanchez guessed he had seen much worse on the battlefield. He seemed supremely confident that she didn't have any damage to her skull or brain. Sanchez was elated at the news, but terrified at her waking. When she woke, he would have to tell her. There would be no hiding it from her. He would be the one to tell her that Noah was dead. Sanchez had been around death his entire life, but nothing like this. Telling a wife that her husband of only a couple months lay dead and lost on a battlefield was a notion that made Sanchez sick to his stomach. In fact, Sanchez had already thrown up the water he'd been given to drink along with the food. He couldn't hold anything down. He had come out of the fight completely unhurt, and everyone else was dead or near death. Why? Why him? Sanchez's guilt racked him. Noah should be here, not me. He could have done more, right? He should have not followed Bear after Evelyn was safe. He should have went back to Noah, should have made sure there was nothing he could do. Sanchez was about to throw up again when he heard Evelyn moan painfully. Noah? Her weak voice called from inside the room behind Sanchez. With eyes watering, Sanchez turned and walked back into the room. To luck, loss, and new friends. Theodore Gunderson lifted a cup made from a bison's horn reverently toward the small crowd gathered in the main hall of the lodge. Sanchez was in attendance, but sitting well away from the main group. Near the fireplace, he hoped he could conquer the chills that continued to assault his body, but it didn't seem to help. Evelyn was sleeping finally. The conversation had gone about the way Sanchez had anticipated, with a lot of tears shed from both of them, and hours of silence following. Sanchez did not know what thoughts were shrouded behind Evelyn's silent, dark countenance, but there was nothing more he could do for her. Down the hill, below the massive lodge, the rest of the valley was celebrating the victory. Celebrating was not the right word for it, Sanchez decided. They were a reverent and somber crowd for the most part, but the atmosphere was joyful. They had lost fewer men than was usual for an engagement of that magnitude, but each man that fell was a friend, a father, a son, or a brother. The people were friendly. They had a sort of accent that Sanchez couldn't quite figure, and sometimes they used words he didn't fully grasp, but they reminded him very much of the good people he'd left behind at Fort Amarillo. Falling in with another group of decent people wasn't something Sanchez would have ever expected. In truth, he just expected a vast expanse of wilderness, but the reality of what he'd found was unlike anything he had imagined. 
The room was furnished plainly, but everything was massive. The main table stretched across the entire expanse of the long hall, and the wooden walls lifted the ceiling high above them. It looked like the ceiling of an abandoned church Sanchez had once seen, like a boat turned upside down. There were three fireplaces along the inner wall, and oil-burning lamps. The amount of light was impressive for a building with so few windows. A stairway and catwalk ran along the outer wall, with slots facing downward into the valley. Sanchez assumed these served a defensive purpose, like the wall outside, in case of an attack on the structure. To eat, he was served a thick steak made of bison meat. For the first time in 48 hours, Sanchez was able to keep it down. After sucking down a couple large mugs of dark beer, Sanchez's body felt better, but his spirit was still crushed. He scanned the room and saw his mood reflected in a few of the other faces gathered at the main table. The ones he saw drink their beer quietly, staring off into space, eyes vacant, seeing but not. They had lost people, just as he had. Sanchez lifted his mug and guzzled all the cold liquid out of it. I just wanted to say, a thin man approached, wearing a solemn face. He picked a place across from Sanchez, and he seated himself. I've been a soldier all my life, and what I saw in that field was the most stunning display of bravery I've ever witnessed. He nodded to Sanchez, and he refilled the empty horn mug. Especially from your fallen man, I've never seen such fight in a young man. My name is Nathan Yoder. I lead the cavalry for the valley guard. Extending his hand, he took Sanchez's and gave it a firm shake. I want you to know I have a few scouts still out in the foothills near the field. They're still searching for him. I don't wish to give you any false hope, but I want you to know we've not given up the search. I appreciate it, mister. Sanchez returned the handshake, and he picked up his newly filled mug. Theodore will be busy most of the evening. As elect, he has a lot of duties. He wanted me to check on you and the girl, see if there's anything you need. Nathan glanced over toward Theodore, who was in no less than three conversations all at once with various people. Why do they call him Bear? Sanchez asked, looking over in the direction of the large man with the strange nickname. What do you mean? Look at him. Nathan sniggered. Well, yeah, I gathered that much, Sanchez clarified. I was talking about the way everyone says it. I heard folks calling him Sir and Elect. What's all that about? Well, he's the elected leader of the valley. Nathan peered over to Sanchez for a moment, and then continued with his explanation when he saw the boy was lost. Every five years, we in the valley cast votes, and we elect a leader to handle the affairs of the valley. Like a chief or something? A bit, I guess. Uh, it used to be that way back in Texas. man that raised me called him politicians. Didn't sound like anyone cared much for him. Sanchez swigged his drink and he glanced over at Bear. Don't look much like a politician to me, though, at least the way I heard him describe. That's because he's not. Also, it's why he's served three consecutive terms as elect, Nathan replied. You see, about 15 years ago, the time came for the Valley to cast their votes for a new elect. Each house writes the name of their choice down on a selected day. Any name can be written, but it's usually known which way the political winds are blowing. 
That particular year, two favorites were Theodore's brother, Jonathan Gunderson, and a man named Murdoch. A few weeks before the election, Murdoch disappeared, never to be seen again. Many of us knew, but no one could prove anything. Boar, as they call him, covered his tracks really well. He was left as the only politician with a large following, and the election was held anyway. To Jonathan's surprise, however, he lost. All of his political enemies threw their support, their votes, and their followers behind one man. Bear. Sanchez nodded the understanding. Precisely, Nathan grinned. As you can imagine, Jonathan resisted. He refused to leave the lodge. He demanded the votes be recounted. He even tried to have his brother killed, as he'd done with Murdoch. Since Theodore wasn't aware he was even in the running, he was out riding alone on the ridge. He was apt to do that back then. There was something else in the story, but Nathan went around it as if it was personal. He took a drink of his beer and paused. I was standing right over there. Nathan motioned with his finger toward the massive door of the lodge, and in walked Theodore Gunderson, carrying two severed heads and a bloody man like a sack over his shoulder. Everyone recognized the young man as Baron. He was a shady character, and he was a known lackey of Jonathan's. Sanchez's eyes grew a bit wide, and he glanced over toward Bear, trying to imagine him with a pair of severed heads in his hand. Theodore was still talking with a few people, and he had a completely pleasant smile on his face. It was hard for Sanchez to picture the smiling man so bloody. Well, Nathan continued, young Baron confessed the entire plot, exposed all the conspirators, including Jonathan. Theodore could have had all their heads, but his first act as elect was to exile his brother and the other conspirators. They went east to the Canyonites, and we've been fighting them ever since. They ended a peace that had lasted nearly a decade, and they poisoned the Canyonites toward war again. Nathan leaned back in his chair, and he yawned. So, why not take the fight to them? Sanchez grimaced. Wipe them out, if they're more primitive than y'all, I mean. Well, since Theodore became elect, we've never fought an offensive campaign against the Canyonites. We defend our people with no quarter when they attack, but we don't attack them in their range. Well, that's... Sanchez was going to say stupid, but his mind stopped him before he spoke. He was angry, and he knew if he were given the opportunity right now, he would kill Boar and every one of these Canyonites in a heartbeat. However, he was savvy enough to gather that a vengeful attitude was not something to openly show, especially to strangers. Finally, after an uneasy silence, Sanchez found the correct way to end his thought. That's neighborly of y'all. Nathan chuckled. I guess it is, he nodded, though I believe whatever you're going to say first is closer to my opinion on the matter. He tipped his mug up. Yeah, I can't hardly follow your accent, mister, Sanchez admitted, lifting his own mug of beer toward the men. But I get the feeling that you and I are going to get right along.